Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello, and thank you for choosing option 3. You've reached Gaywire, and if you're catching us live, that'll be on CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. I'm your silly little host, Terence Adams, with my dog Blue, who you might hear in the background as he is being a big old stinker who needs a lot of attention. And my pronouns are he and they. His pronouns are he, him. Now, my pronouns are he and they for a reason, so use them interchangeably when, not if, you end up talking about me, because obviously I'm at the forefront of everyone's mind all of the time. Of course, that's a little bit of a farce, but my ears ring all the time, and I'm pretty sure it's because people are talking about me. I think my grandma told me that one. This week is the first in our sporadic series on self-care that can work, and later on you'll be able to hear the first part of my conversation with Brianna Bucalo, a social worker with community wellness supports at the University of Alberta. We talk about boundaries and think of ways to take care of our friends in need without putting ourselves at risk. But before we get to that, take a seat, get comfortable, take stock of all the limbs you've got and keep your eyes on the road if you're driving. If you are driving and you happen to pass by the Earth's General Store on 96th Street and White, you may want to pop by their community fridge to leave a donation. The community fridge is free and accessible to anyone who needs it. They accept vegan donations, and conveniently the community fridge is located outside of the grocery store there, so you can support local not only by contributing to some radically accessible community aid, but by buying your donated food from the Earth's General Store itself. Check out the Instagram at community.fridge.yeg for more details. Also, Winterruption is coming up, which is a super cool music festival at many different venues across the city, colonially known as Edmonton with many cool and funky local artists, some of whom are queer or trans. Check out their website, winterruptionyeg.com, for more details. And as always, a reminder that Hugh Lawrence, a disabled trans sex worker activist working out of so-called Chilliwack, BC, is raising money for a wheelchair, as their current one does not meet their needs. Hugh is fantastic, 
and be sure to check out the interview with Q by heading to Gaywire CJSR on your favorite podcast platforms. The episodes are titled Queer Crip Part 1 and 2. And to donate to Q, head on over to their Instagram at QJustTheLetter and click the link in their bio. And you may want to keep your ear to the ground, as I've heard some rumblings about Gabe Calderon's new book, Pagodas. There is some wonderful cover art, and it is available for pre-order as of now. We talked a little bit about Magotis in our conversation about being Two-Spirit and what decolonization looks like, but in case you missed it, here's a teaser. A story saturated with stories we rarely get to hear, queer and indigenous and disabled and trans all woven together in a post-apocalyptic narrative unlike anything you've ever read is what you're going to get if you read Magotis. Head on over to their Instagram at missiongabe to hear more. And be sure to place your pre-order now. And now, on to the interview with Brianna Buchler. My name is Brie Bucallo. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a community social worker at the uh, with Wellness Supports. I'm with the students here at the U of A. And I have been um, within this role for one that I want to talk about <laughs> quite some time. I've been on campus. I've also worked with uh, resident services. So I was a residence coordinator for four years. Um, and also have worked in, in various other social work settings, hospitals and so forth. So yeah, that's just a, a little bit about me. All right, so what we're going to talk about today is some sort of mental health self-care tips for when your friends are going through a rough time and it's because uh, the fact of the matter is for a lot of queer people external resources are not always um, available and so your primary source of care and support comes from your friends um, but you got to make sure that you also have enough energy to provide that care um, so I guess let's start off with um, boundaries so would you be able to provide a definition of what a boundary is? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of different ways and places and settings that boundaries can come into. And so it's, you know, in terms of a, of a boundary, when we're thinking about bringing ourselves forward as helpers, right? That's, that's sort of like our grounding here. We want to be there for our friends. We want to be able to be there for ourselves at the same time. Um, and so boundaries really are that core piece, the, the, the flip side of the coin of self-care. And really for me, when we, we think about boundaries within that kind of helping relationship, there's it's about thinking about your values. So what is it that is most important to you um, in terms of helping, in terms of uh, how much of yourself you can give at any moment in time um, and for any person. Um, and I think it's really important to understand that 
it's okay and appropriate for your boundaries to shift or in some situations and for some people, you know, to have a slightly, you know, bigger boundary, a little bit more of a clearly defined, hey, you know what, I'd love to chat with you up until you know, 8 p.m. But then I turn into a pumpkin and I have to turn off my phone. Um, and for other people in your life or for moments in their lives where things are harder, it's okay to say, you know what, for today, um, I'm going to be here. And so it's it's tricky, right? Boundaries, I think that's part of the reasons why we have a hard time with them because they can be fluid. Um, the biggest thing for me with boundaries is really that we think about having, you know, listening to our bodies. I think our bodies are the ones that tell us the quickest, <laughs> more so than even just like our, our mind, our, our, our bodies tell us the quickest when our boundaries are getting pushed, right? We get that felt sense of, um, Maybe my eye starts twitching. <laughs> Maybe I start to feel tense in my chest. Maybe um, I start doing that like jiggle thing, you know, <laughs> where you're like, <laughs> those kinds of things are really important for us to pay attention to when we're thinking about establishing and, and knowing our boundaries. I, I think that's something that, that a lot of people um, have trouble with is not only um, so identifying the boundary that needs to be set, then the process of actually setting it. Uh, with with the person, and then sort of assertively enforcing that boundary um, when people try to push against it. Um, would you be able to talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's hard, right? So like, I can come at this with like, sort of more of that academic uh, viewpoint where like, these are the steps you can take. And it's, it looks so easy on paper. But I really understand. Um, you know, within my, my own life, within my, you know, own dealings that like, there are cer certain people, certain circumstances where you get challenged on it and it's hard and there's emotions tied up in it, right? Guilt and frustration and um, worry and genuine concern for someone, right? Um, and so I just want to preface with saying, I know this isn't, this, this is hard. The reason why we, we have segments like this talking about boundaries is because it's hard. Um, the way, the way I, I talk about moving forward, the way I have tried to enact it in my own life, um, both professionally and personally, is really first to ground myself in thinking about how empathy and compassion ground my boundaries. So if I try and think about what I'm okay with, where I need to be, what, again, going back to my values, right? Um, if I think about those things, you know, hopefully first, but, you know, as you go along in any relationship, if we can ground our boundaries in that, it sort of helps take some of that um, getting caught up in the sort of flurry of the emotions when people are sort of challenging us. Um, and one of the things I, I like to think about and I ask people to think about are sort of there are four questions that you can ask yourself. And the first one is, what is my scope? So it seems kind of funny to use that word, but real, it's really thinking about having a clear understanding of what your role is in this friendship, what your role is in, in you know, helping this person and the extent of your skills. So I think a lot of the times, unfortunately, particularly um, 
you know, when we talk about having our friends as our community, our friends as our family, our friends as our chosen people, right? Um, knowing we sometimes feel like, oh, even if I don't really know how to help this person and there's a lot going on, I feel like I should, right? But do you actually have the skill set to help someone who maybe is dealing with, a, you know, a mental illness or, um, you know, violence or, or, you know, struggles in, in academics even, right? Like what is the extent of your skills? And knowing that one of the things I like to say is like, it doesn't make you a counselor to sit and listen, right? We can be empathetic. I can sit and listen to someone talk about, you know, what's going on for them, but I don't have the skill set to be a counselor. So I'm not going to try and do any therapeutic interventions. I'm not going to try and um, even diagnose someone. I think sometimes we slip into that, right? We go, oh, I think you probably got depression, maybe anxiety. And maybe even if, you know, we're right and they do, it's not our role to do that diagnosing. Um, So thinking about my scope, thinking about my next question is, what's realistic for me and really thinking about what's realistic for me in this moment because that's something that can change um so if we if we understand what my limits and my capacity are right now right so right now uh i don't have any midterms and so maybe i have a, a bigger capacity to sit and be with someone you know for an hour or two to listen and have them really talk about what's going on um but if i have major you know deadlines coming up, or I have the other people in my life who also need some support, you know, my capacity right now might be more diminished. The third question is, what are my needs? Um, And really, that's just understanding what strategies will keep you healthy. We're not asking you to, you know, cut people out of your lives. um, But we are saying, you know, in order for you to stay there, and be there for someone, you do have to carve out some time, you know, to keep yourself grounded, to keep yourself, um, you know, able to maintain your own mental health. And then the final question, and the most important question, I think, around this is, have I communicated all of this? We can end up having these really big conversations in our head. I don't know if any of you do that. I certainly do that. We're like, you're driving or you're in transit or you're like supposed to be listening to a you know a lecture and you start spinning off in your brain and you have whole conversations with someone um but then you don't actually say them out loud um and sometimes we unfortunately because we've had those conversations in our head we kind of expect that other person to have heard it um or we're worried that in communicating this we're going to damage the relationship and so that that's the struggle, right? We have to clearly communicate our expectations of how we can support someone in those moments. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. I highly recommend looking into anything with Brené Brown. She does a ton of stuff around boundaries. That's really wonderful. There's lots of other people out there, of course, doing that work too. Um, I do a training called Community Helpers, and that's an Alberta Health Services training. I run it on campus. And they have sort of a set um, format that, you know, could help if that's sort of one of the ways you want to move forward. And it's like a three-parter. So it's essentially, I want to help. Here's why I can't, but here's what I can do. I think the, but here's what I can do is the most important piece about maintaining 
a relationship, right? To because sometimes when we think of boundaries, we think of it as, as this closed door. Like I can't help you, and therefore, you know, um, you're you're cut off. But realistically, when we're in that helping role, what we the things that we can do could be as simple as saying, "But I can sit with you right now and call a crisis line." So that you, that first time of calling it, you get a better sense of what to expect. So it's not as nerve wracking to call at three in the morning, or I can walk with you to, you know, the peer support center on campus and, and wait with you until you can get in to see one of the volunteers, right? Those kind of, I'm still doing that small connection piece to get someone connected into further help. For me, that's the, the defining feature of a helping relationship. I'm inputting my boundaries, but I am still getting them into further help. For sure. Yeah. Um, And so speaking of that further help, um, how do you find it? Yeah, definitely. Um, There, of course, I think it's tricky. I will say that um, people who are students do have access to a lot more um, resources, but by no means, you know, if you're living in say uh, a major city, so Edmonton or Calgary, sometimes even Red Deer, um, you know, there, there are more of those access points for resources. Um, it gets harder. I will say, and I, I know it's a fact when you get into smaller and more rural areas. Um, and that's where a lot of those online resources that have really, um, you know, grown with the pandemic, like one of the, one, I would say of the benefits of having gone through the last two years is that we've really honed in and expanded some of those online um, resources and the virtual counseling, like that was something that was a little bit more fringe um, prior to the pandemic, where a lot of us, you know, we, we would operate solely in an in-person kind of basis. Um, and now a lot of areas, you know, there's a lot of, of counselors that will do virtual meetings. And so you don't have quite as much of that limiting factor as to where that resource is. Um, I would direct people either to the, the pride centers um, in their cities or um, ISNIS. If you go to the ISNIS um, website, they have some great uh, resources. And there's the, the I think it's called the True Project. Uh, where there's some supports within Edmonton that can help people. Um, and I know that all these resources, of course, um, have their own limits. And so for me, I think the biggest thing is when I'm talking to someone and they're expressing that they're in struggle, the first thing for me is to think, okay, so what exactly is that, you know, in this moment that would work best for you? And I, I direct that question to them, right? Because I want to know what they thought of. I want to know what they feel comfortable with. Maybe someone has had a really bad experience <laughs> um, going to a certain area. Um, I need to know that before I say, hey, have you gone here? Um, right? Because that that shifts how I help, you know, try and find what those other resources are. The other really great one, I would say, too, there's also um, the landing on campus as a student group, but it is open to anybody and you don't have to be a student to go and they can help recommend resources as well that, you know, particularly when we think about resources that are identified and known to be safe, you know, for the queer community. And so um, 
reaching out to those areas can be a really um, important first first step to finding those resources. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess let's go into uh, some strategies. So uh, if you've established that your scope and your, um, if it, you have the emotional capacity to engage with a friend who's going through a rough time, but what do you actually say to them that can help? Yeah. yeah. I, the thing I really want to um, highlight here is to never underestimate the power of someone just being heard. Um, I know certainly there are lots of times where someone does need, you know, actionable help and we can get to that point. But I think sometimes we get this sense of almost pressure on ourselves that you know, I, ha I have to be the one to help lead this person into, um, you know, the next steps. And I really want to reinforce, there is such a power in just being heard in being allowed to unfold your story, uh, to, to identify the emotions that someone is feeling. Um, we talk about something called affect labeling. And so affect labeling is just a fancy term for saying, I say out loud the emotion that I'm feeling. Um, and it sounds so simple, but uh, they've been doing research and, and being able to, you know, brain scans, all that kind of stuff. And, and we can see that when someone says, I'm feeling crappy, or um, I'm in distress, or uh, I'm frustrated, I'm regretful, I feel guilty, I'm lonely, right? These kinds of statements, even though I think a lot of times, um, particularly, and I can only ground myself in Western culture, that was what I've been raised in and what I know most intimately, but when um, a lot of the times you've been sort of trained to say, oh, if you, if you say I'm feeling crappy, then you're just going to continue to feel more crappy. It's sort of this weird, um, toxic posit positivity idea, right? Like I shouldn't identify the negatives. I should only focus in on the positives. Um, but we, we know that if I can label and say out loud, those negative emotions, that actually starts to, to shift. It, it turns, um, off our stress response or freeze fight flight and we can start to get different parts of our brain turning on and we have a better chance of being able to think so you being able to just let and facilitate someone sharing those emotions saying that these these things are are hard and difficult um that alone has a lot of power to help now, I know sometimes it can get draining as a helper, right? If, if all we're sort of hearing from someone is, is how hard things are. And I think that's when we need to start listening to our tells, right? When we start thinking about our boundaries um, to say, hey, you know what? Like, are there other places that maybe we can get you to, to also be sharing this? Because the, you know, the more someone can sort of explore that inside interior emotional world and the things that are going on, the, the closer we sort of get into that space of, giving their brain the ability to move forward. All of that being said, of course. So the first thing is, yes, I want, I want to say you can help by just listening and bringing forward a caring and empathetic stance. 
if we wanted to move further into some of those, those strategies, you know, listening strategies, you can do active listening. So active listening is really just asking open-ended questions. And I, I will say, so even I've worked with, you know, I do trainings for a lot of people on campus and, and I fall into this um, trap myself. A lot of the times we think we're asking an open-ended question. So that's a question that allows someone to expand out as opposed to a pose where it's a yes or no response. We trick ourselves into thinking we're asking open-ended questions if it's a really long sort of question, right? So do you think that when you, you know, walk into that classroom and you get these feelings that, you know, da-da-da-da-da, even though it's a really long question, it I'm still actually only asking a yes or no question because I started it with do. So a really great trick to help yourself remember, am I asking a closed-ended question or am I asking an open-ended question? is to start it with who, who, what, where, when, how, describe, give, or explain. If you start a question with those, it's going to be an open question. And so I like to, to remind myself of that when I'm, when I'm talking to someone. Um, another big piece that we can do, this is hard, but to understand that we're not trying to fix someone. Our role is not to do that. Our role as friends and helpers is to sort of be beside someone and help them figure out what their next steps are. Unless someone has really hit that crisis point, right? Where they're, they're truly in that moment where they don't have a sense that they can move forward. They don't have a sense that they have any resources. You know, maybe even they don't have hope for change you know, that's a, that's sort of more of that, that crisis tipping point, but all the way up until then, it's important for us to realize that <laughs> we can give all the suggestions in the world, but if it, if it doesn't resonate with someone, you know, they're, we're just talking and they're not going to, they probably won't follow through. I can think of so many times where, you know, good natured advice giving I just, you know, smile and nod at that person and then do absolutely nothing with it, <laughs> right? So, you know, we, if we take that step back and say, you know, I'm not here to fix, I'm here to ask you, what have you thought of? Um, what are some of the things that might happen if you did that step? Are there any other things you might've thought of? What might happen if you do those other things, right? We're just trying to help them shape their own path forward. And from there, if, if you've really explored all those things, you're still not hearing sort of a resource or a next step that you know might really be a good one. That's where we might be able to say, hey, you know what? I've heard some of these things. I, I didn't hear you mention one thing. I just want to throw it out there um, to see if that's something that might work. But I always like to start with where they want to go first. Um, and then from there, it's really about, okay, if they want to get connected to resources, how can I do that in a really meaningful way, right? In a way that really helps get them into that resource. Um, uh, negative of our pandemic is that lots of people have been accessing mental health resources or health resources and our healthcare system is overwhelmed. So the reality of that is you may reach out to resources and it may be a really long wait, or you might not even you know, qualify to get in um, based on their sort of triaging protocols. 
So for me as a helper, the most important thing you can do is say, hey, I'm going to spend some time helping you get in there um, and I'm going to follow up with you. I'm going to say, hey, how did it go trying to get connected to that doctor? Or how did it go trying to get a counseling counseling appointment or whatever that might look like? And and really doing that follow-up piece because we know it might, maybe you got an appointment through AHS, right? We're talking about community members. Um, but it's in four months. <laughs> You're like, okay, so what can we do in the interim? Where can we get you connected now that will, you know, keep you at a sort of a, a floating level until that point? Um, so for me, those are the, the sort of concrete things that we can do as a helper. You just heard myself, Terrence Adams, in case you forgot, I tend to, speaking with Brianna Buccolo about self-care. Catch the second half of our interview next week, same time, same place, on CJSR 88.5 FM in so-called Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Before we close off today, a quick little segment... Here's today's Queero, a queer hero. Sylvia Rivera was a genderqueer street activist who was harassed, brutalized, and arrested by police before she and her fellow Stonewall patrons fought back in June 1969. Rivera's activism did not start or stop at the Stonewall Inn. With Marsha Johnson, Rivera founded Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, a radical group that did everything from marching to setting up crash pads as an alternative to the streets. Rivera even scaled New York's City Hall in a dress and heels in order to gain recognition for some of society's most vulnerable outcasts. I was a radical, a revolutionist. I still am a revolutionist. I am glad I was in the Stonewall riot. I remember when someone threw a Molotov cocktail, I thought, my God, the revolution is here. The revolution is finally here. Sylvia Rivera. Wow, what a lovely segment. And with that, I have run out of time for today's episode. Thank you so much to our guest, Brianna Buccolo, and be sure to tune in next week for part two.
Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM and is produced by myself, Terrence Adams, along with Artemis Peasley and Jao Victor Krieger. You can listen to all of our old episodes along with ones where we interview Gabe Calderon and Q Lawrence, and we also have interviewed the group behind the Community Fridge. You can catch all of those by searching for Gaywire on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Gaywire CJSR. Also, check out our socials. For Twitter and Facebook, we are simply at Gaywire. And for Instagram and TikTok, we are at GayWireCJSR. You can DM us, um, ideally on Instagram, if you have any interesting things that you would like to tell us. Questions, comments, concerns, stories, music. Or you can email us at GayWire at CJSR.com. Our original music is by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz, and our artwork is by Travis Erickson. Stay tuned next for some awesome tunes, but there will be a slight moment of discomfort in the transition. Until next time, keep it breezy, and... Please stay on the line. <laughs>